0: You're working with a structure, you're working with tension, you're working with geometry. It's just like 2D, 3D. It's a matter of materiality. It's the same.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Amy Devers and this is Clever. Today I'm talking to Rodolfo Agreia. He is founder and design director of the New York-based Rodolfo Agrea Design Studios, which describes itself like this. We are an assembly of energies and unique talents working together to manifest narratives into joyful, award-winning experiences, generating exciting interiors, graphics, digital, fidgetal, and physical products, immersive spaces, and exhibitions. And while all of that is totally accurate, I just want to personally endorse the joyful part. Born and raised in Venezuela, he studied architecture in Italy at the Politecnico di Milano, After founding and leading a design studio in Caracas for over five years, he transitioned to New York City on a whim, and was the design lead at WeWork for a stint before founding his own studio in 2015. Now, he's frequently called out as one of the leading voices of the next generation of Latin American designers. And Rodolfo himself says that one of his proudest accomplishments is translating the spirit of Venezuela into an international language. This New York Design Week 2023, he's unveiling a new immersive experience he designed in collaboration with Heller Furniture. And if you'll be attending ICFF and Wanted Design, you'll be able to see Rodolfo's work and joy all throughout the show in the Oasis, the talk stage, the new restaurant, and the Wanted Design Manhattan Lounge and Cafe. His vibrancy is buoyant and his laugh will effing make your day. Here's
0: Rodolfo. My name is Rodolfo Agrega. I live in New York. I'm the founder and director of Rodolfo Agrega Design Studio. And we are a studio devoted to create beautiful things, beautiful experiences, and I love it.
1: You do love it. I can tell because your exuberance comes through in everything you do and all the ways you talk about.
2: it. So let me understand
1: where all that love comes from.
0: I'm originally from Caracas, Venezuela. I'm the youngest of four. My family is a huge family, a typical Latin family. I grew up in amazing group of people, very diverse, being always a little bit like the weirdo. I have two brothers and a sister, and all of them are very sporty and they're older than me and I was always the sentimental, the emotional, the artist of the family, let's say. My parents knew that and my family knew that. I was recently talking to my mom and asking her why every Christmas I didn't receive like toys, like a bike or something. It was everything was just markers, things to do, arts and crafts because I was always creating stuff, always Actually, the first thing that I ever got was a small table. Like It was like my size when I was a kid. And in that little table, I was able to do everything that I wanted. I was just there. That was my world. Basically, my first studio.
1: That's amazing. I also, I'm so fascinated with children's furniture because it allows you as a child to make believe that the world fits you and you're not like this small person in this big world.
0: I always remember that little table as a very special one. Listen, it's not that far what I'm doing right now versus what I was doing over there. I was just playing with color, having fun, and just like creating these like little worlds for me. Now I do it for everybody. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) So it sounds like your family was very supportive of this. And even though you were the weirdo in the family, it was still loved and celebrated as opposed to get you to conform.
0: No, absolutely. For a few years, my family lives in Valencia, which is a city close by to Caracas. And we had no attachment to Valencia whatsoever. So my mom used to go to Caracas just to buy food. So every Friday, my dad would pick up all of us at school and then just go to Caracas for the weekend to visit the family, my cousins, my aunts, like everybody, and also to go to museums and to have a little bit of like cultural influence in a way. Because Valencia at that time was a small town. My brothers and my sister, they would just go out with my cousins, but I was the one going to the museum or to the theater with my aunts, my uncles. It was a lovely time. And all of that influences big time on what I do and who I am. Fun fact is that every Monday, at school, at the beginning, early in the morning, teachers will ask, oh, guys, what do you do over the weekend? And my friends were like, oh, I was like playing soccer or we went to the club or whatever. Right. And I was like, I went to the opera <laughs> and saw a Boheme or Madame Butterfly when I was like eight (laughs) or 10 years. That was crazy, crazy. So since then, I feel like a weirdo and I You have embraced
1: it, it. yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so it sounds idyllic, honestly. You had the support in terms of developing your creativity, being in your own little world, playing with color. You were given not only like the physical support in terms of the art supplies on the table, but the emotional support in terms of sort of your parents kind of understanding and nurturing this in you.
0: Even sometimes they didn't understand, but they're just like, okay, you do you. We don't get what you're doing. Even after I started school and I went to the university, it's, we really don't get what you do, but we support you. We're very proud of you. That's amazing. Really, really amazing.
1: Both your parents still alive?
0: My dad passed away 12 years ago. My mom, it's, it's, she's alive and she's like celebrating every step of my career. Yes.
1: Nobody gets through the teenage years without a little something, a little awkwardness, a little angst, some sort of identity crisis. <laughs> what was
0: yours? Where should we start? I've always considered myself a social butterfly. At school, I was known for two reasons. One, like my brothers and my sister, like they were way older than me. We have a difference. I have a difference with my oldest brother of 11 years. And they were like popular at school. And I was the little brother. So in order to get to them, they have to pass through me. (laughs) So it was a small school. So everybody knew each other. But in the other side, I was like a kind of a nerd. Because I was always like with good grades, friends of the teachers, and friends of everybody. And you know that in Latin America, the quinceañera thing, it's a thing, right? So all of these girls were just throwing these huge parties. And I'm a very good dancer, just FYI. So even if I was a lower grade or whatever, they will invite me to dance with them. So in a way, it was like n- the nerdy guy that was cool to invite to the parties because he was just fun and he could dance. And this laugh that I have, it's just people who invite me back then just because of your laugh. Now I realize the power of it.
1: It's almost <laughs> like the audio version of a lighthouse. Like it cuts through everything and is like a beacon of joy just like through all the fog and noise that laugh
0: that's the best description I ever hear about that that's amazing thank you very much for that image I love it I'm gonna use it
1: okay so did you have this self-awareness when you were younger as well were you comfortable being a nerdy good dancer
0: I was comfortable dancing up to a certain extent There was this time in my life that I I, I just want to be a dancer. But back then in Caracas, there were no schools devoted to that. So I decided to, no, I'm going to study architecture. But there was no self-awareness of that. I realized that was good recently, in my early 20s, I would say, that I realized, okay, that's something special. I need to keep adding energy to that and focusing on that focusing that laser beam and use it for a bigger purpose that's something that i really really think it's part of my essence and what makes me be who i am and be different than anybody not just me the people that work with me the people that i collaborate with all of those like weird stuff and like yeah nerdy things from my past are what makes me be me.
1: It's like the special spice combination that gives you your
0: particular flavor. Yes, plus obviously I'm from the tropics, so everything grows there in abundance. So color it's abundant. Like people are allowed, and I'm part of that too.
1: I need help understanding is how you got to architecture because to me that seems very disciplined, stiff, and orderly, and We all know that architecture is really important to the built world, obviously, but it's very hard to get a project built. So there's so much work that is conceptual and abstract that never actually becomes a built project. Talk to me about your decision to study architecture and then your trajectory through your journey as a student.
0: I decided to study architecture for one simple reason. I wasn't aware. I I was 16 when I entered the university. I was a kid. I have good grades, so I was able to enter a, a, any university. But then the main reason was that at that time, we were living in Valencia, and I really wanted to study in Caracas.
1: <laughs> you just wanted to get to the city.
0: <laughs> Correct. My sister was studying medicine. My other brother was studying economy, and then this other brother was studying Engineering, civil engineering, and everybody was like, You should study like civil engineering because you can build stuff with that, or you should be like a graphic designer or you should study art or something. And in one of these meetings and like lectures about careers and stuff like that, I heard an architect could do anything. And I was like, Bingo, that's me. I'm gonna go that way. So I presented that and I moved to Caracas and I started to study architecture at the Central University of Caracas, which is a marvel of the mid-century modern. Caracas in general, it's all built out of this incredible sense of the men of the future seen from the 50s. So the Central University was basically a playground for the architect, Carlos Raul Villanueva, to do all of these crazy shapes It was a very avant-garde piece of architecture for for that period of time. We were basically in the 50s. Venezuela was Dubai. So I started there. The faculty, we have six calders, I believe so. The whole university, it's just covered up with these amazing art pieces, dialoguing with the architecture. It's incredible. We have basarelles. It's a lot of things, a lot of things. The very first day of school. I saw myself doing something like that. I wasn't aware of what was it or anything, but just, I think I can do this. And then through my teachers, teachers are an amazing thing. And I remember my first semester teacher that she saw one of my sketches once. And she was like, oh, you have a lot of intuition. You just need to be a little bit more disciplined. And I took that very seriously because this is the thing. I can be a creative, but I'm also very disciplined in what I do. There is a lot of rigorosity in what I do. And I suffer from OCDs like big time. Once again, the laser beam. If I put the laser targeting something, I'm going to make it happen no matter what. And that's always related to a disciplined thing. Discipline and great ideas are a perfect match. Because if you have just a great idea, but you don't have the discipline to manifest that, just like getting it down into, okay, this great thing, how it gets translated into the physical world. So I was able to learn that in in a very early stage of school. And this same teacher, she sent me an email once. The faculty has these scholarships to go to Europe to study, to end up your career. So that's how I ended up in Milan. Oh, studied at the Milan. Did you
1: get nominated by faculty because they saw you as a special star student and they wanted to support you?
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. And I was like, why Milan? Because the take on architecture here in Milan, it's more related to what I really wanted to do. At that time of my student career, I realized yes, I want to be an architect, but I enjoy also designing the details of the architecture. I enjoy also selecting the colors of how this thing is going to look like. And this teacher, Ana Maria Marin, told me, you have to go to the Politecnico because they have a a very specific take on what the work of an architect.
1: A little more holistic.
0: And Italy in general has that. You should go there.
1: For context, what year are we in when you go to Politecnico?
0: That was... 2004, it was crazy because that was the first time that I have tripped to the exterior of, in every sense.
1: So you'd never been outside of the country?
0: No. Did you speak Italian? A little bit because in in the Central University in Caracas, they have these lessons. They give you a month of lessons. So the only thing that I could say was ciao, si, no. Because it's almost the same thing (laughs) as in Spanish. (laughs) Fortunately, the Politecnico had this amazing program that they receive the students and they hold your hand at the very beginning and guide you through the Italian culture. And then you do you. It was really incredible. That first semester, you know, at the beginning I was complaining because we didn't have access to a lot of things, and you're comparing yourself to European students, to American students. And I had a little bit of that stigma of this guy from the third world. At some point, you, I remember a person that asked me, wait, where do you got the, that clothes that you're wearing? It was like H&M or like Zara or something like that. It's like, no, no, no. You got it here? Or because they have this, image of Venezuela as just the Amazons. He thought that I was an indigenous person that would come here, and I was like, I need to change this. I really need to change this. So, fun fact is that the first semester that, was, that I was studying, these are big rooms with like 120 students per class. Chino Tsuki, which is an architect, a famous architect here, saw my project and says, hey, wait this is not eighth semester. We are on sixth semester here, fifth or sixth. And I was like, this is my, my year, the fifth or sixth. And he was like, why do you draw everything so precise? Like, why your building has beams? And I was like, because you need to. <laughs>
1: Otherwise, it won't stand up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. In that sense, we were very technical in Venezuela. then that, that was the gateway to start working with Chinotsuki. He was looking for an intern. Everybody was like dying to get that intern position. And I didn't know who he was, to be honest. I knew that he was known here, but not that known. So when I got into that Monday to the studio and I saw that, it was like, okay, I can do this. (laughs) (laughs) But it was also celebrating what I learned back in Caracas.
1: Yeah, so this sounds like actually not just you being selected because you're an exemplary student, but also somebody who recognizes the the blending of your Latin American flavor plus your studies with their Italian sort of mindset and their practice could be a good thing.
0: Yes, absolutely. As a celebration of that melting pot. Cuz it provides an international flair to everything. And obviously my approach to color and the way I see things, and it's just not me. Everybody that was in that studio was like international, with people from Japan, people from Poland, from America too. Obviously that's like just adding layers and layers of multiple perspectives to a single project. That's super smart. I want to do the same. I'm doing the same actually (laughs)
1: That makes sense. This is where all the seeds were planted.
2: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com/slash WonderSuite.
1: Support for Clever comes from Wix Studio. Whenever I'm in a room with web professionals, I hear a lot of shop talk about Wix Studio. Wix Studio is beloved by both designers and developers because it gives them the quality and flexibility to do exceptional work efficiently so they can do what they do best without the grind and deliver projects on time. Designers love Wix Studio because it combines pure web design with maximum productivity. With intuitive layout tools, designers can create unique layouts with an intuitive grid that allows them to add emphasis and standout style. And they can save entire custom site templates, text themes, color palettes, and components to use them time and again. And developers love Wix Studio because it gives them the flexibility and speed they need to take a wide range of projects end to end with code level control over the front end and back end. Devs can either use Wix Made or third party APIs. Plus, they can work online in a VS code based IDE or code locally and push changes via GitHub. I may not be an expert in website creation, but I do know a lot about how to design and build, and there is nothing more exciting to the creative process than a well stocked toolkit that helps me do my best work. To learn more, go to Wix Studio or simply click on the Clever Resources link in the description. So while you're in school for architecture, you're also getting into product design as well, right?
0: Sort of, because I was very interested in to see how the handles were made and how a handrail could just end up in a curve or something. So your attention to detail pulled you all the way through,
1: not just fit and fixture, but then color, surface treatment, and then the items that would be placed in there, because that's what creates the environment, is all of it
0: together. Correct. In the end, it's about the story, that it's narrated in multiple scales. And I remember one day a teacher that was like, After I studied here in Milano, I had to go back to Caracas because at that time they didn't have a double titulation program that you get your title in Caracas. And then here, like in Italy, you graduate as well as an architect. But then back then I had to get back to Caracas to present my thesis there. And a teacher, when I was doing my thesis, it was a convention center. I remember that clearly because I was super excited for the uh, Milan fair. And it was like, Venezuela needs a convention center, so I'm going to design it. And during that process, that another teacher just saw one of my corrections and says, listen, you should do graphics, too, because the layout of these like floor plans and like how you're presenting your stuff, it's really cool. And then it opens up a whole conversation that basically architecture, graphics, And then I translate that and scale that to product as well. It's the same because you're working with a structure. You're working with tension. You're working with geometry. It's just like 2D, 3D. It's a matter of materiality. It's the same.
1: It's the same. And yet you said it's a variety of scales. So I almost think of it like if you're telling a story... It's the punctuation. It's the inflection. And it's the nonverbal communication as well as the verbal. And it's all of that to communicate in a way that resonates. You can't just it can't be an outline. It can't just be the bullet points. It has to be the full personality.
0: No, because that's (laughs) soulless.
1: It's soulless. How'd your convention center turn out? You did well with that?
0: oh amazing I won the best thesis of that year and I won an award like an internal award and everything it was just spectacular I knew the guys that were like in the semesters below me they will saw me later on and said dude we hate you because after your presentation we now need to do (laughs) three times more work because everybody's expecting this thing
1: you raised the bar now we have to get better at what we do
0: (laughs) yes they actually invited to, to teach. So I was able to teach their design for two semesters. It was amazing. It's an experience that I love. I take that like, very close to my heart.
1: I can tell I, you already mentioned something about teachers. I saw that in your resume. And I'm for some reason, when I saw that it really clicked. I don't know why I didn't know this about you, but I sensed something from your personality that you'd be a good teacher, but that it would also be really meaningful to you to be able to help share what you've learned and to help cultivate it in other people.
0: Yes, I have a law in my life that it's always like giving back. I had so much help from my teachers and from mentors and people that I even... After I left the university, the universe puts a lot of mentors in front of me. This is people helping me. I feel that I have that work to just reciprocate that, to, not to my mentors, but to other people, to help other people to see what they are not able to see. And that's what I love about teaching, because students don't know that they are so good that they just need a little bit of pressure. I just recently ended a period of time in, uh, in Monterrey teaching. After ten years, it was an it was an amazing amazing experience. The last day, I was like saying goodbye to all the students, and one of them said to me, "We're very grateful because no one ever believed in us the way you believed." It's like yes you were basically pretty tough to deal with. This is the student telling me to me because I'm very extreme. As I am loud with my laugh, I'm as extreme in in discipline. Uh, So it's like both things.
1: I'm not surprised to hear that. And I'm glad that teaching sort of punctuates your life when it's time. But I want to go back to the, it sounds like teaching was also your first step into the professional world. You founded your studio, Rodolfo, Agreya Design Studio in 2015. So we have a few years to cover is the early chapter of your career. And I wonder if you can tell me about that.
0: So the reason why I left the position of teaching in the faculty was because I was selected to participate at Salone Satellite. That was 2010. I was at the faculty and the dean reached out to me and said, listen, Rodolfo, Marva Griffin, it's coming to Caracas with the Campana brothers and they're doing a workshop here and they are asking me for 10 people and I want you to be one of them, to participate on that workshop. I knew who was Marva and I knew the Campana brothers. At that time, I was not just only teaching at the faculty, but I was also working with some Architects and then some even an event company doing like creative direction for that event company. We we'll have a sense of what the Campana brothers were doing back then, and that workshop was sponsored by the um, uh, Cisneros Foundation, and uh, it was really intense. Three days in Caracas with Humberto Fernando, just designing stuff, and then the last day of the workshop, you were, everybody had a piece. And Marva was just like walking around and she saw one of my pieces. It's like, you should apply for next year for Salone Satellite. You know what Salone Satellite is? And I was like, yes. She, I was super scared of her, really scared of her. And I was like, yes. So I applied and I uh, prepared everything to go there. And I presented my, the first time that I exhibited internationally, was 2011 at Salon Satellite And that's where I felt my career was launched formally in a very interesting way because I didn't have any money to go. I struggled a lot in order to produce stuff in Venezuela, do the prototyping and all of that. And I was counting with the cultural branch of the government just to help me pay for some things. And they said... We will send everything to Milan and Nothing arrived. They never send it. And I was in Milan at Salone del Mobile. They they will will pass by and I was like, where are my stuff? Where are my stuff? Where are my stuff?
1: So are you just there in an empty booth?
0: Yes. But listen to this. I knew that was a a special occasion. I reached out to the best people that I could. And I actually reached out to Bo Fran, who's an amazing photographer in Venezuela. He was like the top product photographer in the country. And I just reached out to him and says, listen, do you know who Marva Griffin is? Yes. Do you know what Salon satellite, satellite is? Yes. Okay. So I was invited to, to I was selected to go to the Salon Satellite and I need really good pictures of my products because I need to show my products. I don't have any money to do this. And I show him the project and he looked at me and says, I'm going to get peace if somebody else shoot that. I really love the project. I really love your energy. Let's do it. And that happens with other person too, Valentina who She had a gastronomic lab. And the first piece that I designed was a cookie because I wanted to do some like food design stuff. Uh, and she says exactly the same. I had very good pictures of my products. So the day before the show opened, I went to a printer house, and just like print huge posters of my products and then put it there because I said, you know what? I travel up all the way to here, back to Milan, to not to sell a product. I'm selling myself and my ideas and the way I can, my approach to design. So I was there the whole fucking week, teaching out my products. My things. Marva was pissed. And I was like super scared of her because she's Marva Griffin. But then something magical happened. The first day of the show, this German guy came. It was the first day, like the first hour of the show. And he just stopped by because all the manufacturers, just the first thing that they go, it's a salon satellite. This guy looked at these servers that I designed and made in stainless steel and he was like, do you do that in plastic? And I was like, no, I can do it in stainless steel because in Venezuela, we don't have like plastic. And he said, "No, no, 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 no. not don't, don't, don't worry, I'll do it. So that was Stefan Koziol from kotsiol in Germany. He gave me his card and I, I wasn't aware of what Koziol was or who he was, but the fun thing about the Salone eh, is that the people that it's next to you, it's like either from Germany or from, I have Naotamura in front of me, and we became friends because of that. And I was just like, go to these German guys. Do you know, that? who's this Stefan Kusiol? It says that he's from Germany. It's, dude, this guy, it's like the top-notch thing. Oh my gosh,
1: the first hour, you don't even have any product, you just have photos.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So by the end of that first week, I was able to go, and I'm always joking with Marva about that, because I, after we became like super close friends. At this point, she's like my <laughs> design godmother, I will say. And she's one of these mentors that the universe had put me in front. I love her. I remember that by the end of that week, it was just like, Marva, it's, I have good grades. <laughs> like a kid that goes to the mom and says, hey, listen, I have good grades. I have a contract. I signed a contract. And then that product was the one that the first international product that I launched and the one that won the special mention at the German Design Award. It's an amazing story that I always love to tell because and then especially in shows and things when I see people that it's like oh no I'm not going to do anything because I don't have the resources or it's like very uphill for me or people that you know I have a mirror and then the mirror breaks of, like in the middle of the installation. It's like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Nothing. You just be there and pitch your idea. You're here to pitch your idea so people can know you.
1: I love your resourcefulness. And I love through all of this, you've had an openness, which is like, no matter what curveballs I get thrown, I'm still here to do my thing. So I'm going to do it. I just might have to like... Wear a different outfit or change up my dance steps, but I'm gonna do it. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's part of being Venezuelan, to be honest, because Venezuelans are highly resilient people. We develop a magnificent approach to adapt to things. Especially, I'm always saying that Brazilian soccer players, they're trained on the sand at the beach, which is the worst condition. And they're very good playing at the beach. When you put that guy in, in Europe with the proper shoes and the proper field, they're going to be fantastic. So basically, I was trained in Venezuela where there is nothing. So everything needs to be created or you need to solve things in a creative way with what you have. That generates an an elasticity on the way you approach things, on the way you design things. And then passing through all of these (laughs) experiences also allowed you to test that flexibility and adapt. It's an adapting game, I would say.
1: I like that you phrase it as a game because I do see you treating it as like a soccer practice or like you're gamifying it in some way. You're like, no, this is all just, how do I get better at this? As opposed to a more woe is me, why do I get all these hardships? No,
0: because it should be fun. So make it fun. Flip that coin. We can pass through struggle <laughs> laughing.
1: <laughs> I love it. I'm taking notes. Everybody can, I think, take a little bit more of this into their life philosophy because we've been through a pandemic and we've all kind of had to recognize our own weaknesses and resiliency. And I think some of us also realized just how strong we are through that. But maybe some of us could also realize just how much more joyful that could have been if we had a lighter hearted attitude.
0: (laughs) I'm always saying that period of time was a human timeout. Go to your room, <laughs> think what you did, and when you're ready, you can I go like out. that.
1: I like that. That's a really good way to frame <laughs> it. Okay, so get me to New York City because it looks to me like you moved to New York City around 2014.
0: But this is the interesting thing. I wasn't planning to live in New York, <laughs> and I wasn't planning to leave Caracas. Even if I'm very, you know, structured and do, this was something that it happened organically. I went to New York for the opening of a show that I had at the MAD Museum in Colombo Circle about Latin American design. New Territories was the name. I went just for two weeks for the the opening of the show. I have, they were asking designers to, to do a lecture and so on. So I went there. At that time, I was in Venezuela and I have my studio in Venezuela working for different clients doing interior and like more related to hospitality environments and stuff like that and designing products it was super hard to get a ticket i somehow i find a way to come to new york i had to travel like 12 hours it was a horrendous experience because i felt that i was escaping caracas the trip was a mess. I rented an apartment for those two weeks. And after 12 hours of traveling, which is normally three, I arrived and I took a shower, went to bed. And I I meditate a lot. And I was like meditating and saying, you know what? Dude, universe, just send me a signal that this is the proper thing. Because it doesn't feel like like it was like the proper thing. Because I felt that I was escaping. The day after... The first thing that I do in the morning is just, okay, let me check my emails because I was traveling the whole, the whole day yesterday and I couldn't check anything. And I receive an email from Kotsiol, the German company saying, congratulations. You won the German design award with a special mention. From where do you want us to buy you the ticket so you can come to Germany and receive the award? And I was like, from New York. <laughs> So after that, I went to <laughs> I went to Frankfurt <laughs> to receive the award. And then that was like three months. The, the time was like three, three, four months. It was like the opening of the show in New York was like in November. So I was able to spend Christmas with my family in Seattle. And then after that, I would go to Germany. And then during that time, everything in Venezuela started to be on hold, projects, a lot of cancellations and stuff. And I was like, okay, this is another signal that I have to read very clearly. I'm going to be in between Europe and Latin America. So the best place is to stay in New York. So I moved to New York. And I start, I have no, no contacts here besides the people that I knew from the show. What should I do? How do I open up a studio here being no one? Nobody in New York. So a friend of mine was working at that time at WeWork. He said, you know what? There is this, they're looking for designers, architects, graphic people, product people. Okay, this makes sense in the overall scheme of things. Because I need to learn the codes, how people work in UA. U.S.
1: Building codes, but also the social codes.
0: <laughs> Correct. Like in, in the future, if I want to be a big, have a big studio here in New York, I need to understand how things work first in order to tweak it and make it my own.
1: Was this during their like blitz scaling period?
0: It, yes. It, it was like just before what happened on that uh, bomb. So, you know, I was in charge of the whole tri-state doing projects and, and a lot of projects in New York. And I could tell how hard it is to connect architecture, design, graphic, and product from the American perspective.
1: Yeah, they're still pretty siloed out.
0: Yes, yes. And I was like, okay, this is something. There is something here that needs to be softened.
1: Do it. Do it, Rodolfo. (laughs) We need you.
0: (laughs) We are on it. So, yeah, I discovered that there is no an umbrella that can coordinate all of this and make it cohesive and create an experience through all of these things. And because I basically don't care about the difference between one thing and another thing or the limits between the disciplines, I don't care. I know people will just say, "Ah, oh, Rodolfo, because it's <laughs> the Venezuelan Italian stuff. No, it's true compartments are not great. And especially within the design world that you need to be open to collaborate, to overlap stuff without ego, because that, it's an ego thing. So um, I open up my studio, the Dolphagrella Design Studio. And now we do all of that. <laughs>
1: yes, I know. Okay, so You opened the studio in 2015, so you've been at it for eight plus years. So give me an overview of what the studio does. And I know you do everything, but maybe flesh it out in a little more detail. And then I would love for you to take one project, let's say, and illustrate your creative process through the
0: whole thing. We do product graphics, exhibition design, interior design, and architecture. We basically work with space and what you experience within that space. That's what we do in Rodolfo Grella Design Studio. We have a team. That's why I like to, when I talk about the studio, I talk in plural because we're a lot of people. Even if I'm the face of the studio, we are a group and I have graphic designers, interior designers, people that work with like animations and 3Ds and soundscapers, because I love to to include sound in what we do, and product designers. It's a very interesting mix of international people also, obviously.
1: (laughs) Just to get businessy for a second, are these people you contract with that you have on heavy rotation or are these full-time employees that you are responsible for in terms of their workers' comp and benefits?
0: I have a core team that it's fixed. And then depending on the pipelines and the specific kind of project that we do, we just like, you know, open up, It's always the same people, basically, because I believe that once you find somebody that's good, you need to keep it (laughs) and not just keep it. Teach that person to do other stuff rather than what they are good at, just for the sake of making them a little bit more flexible.
1: And also, so they don't feel trapped and stagnant because that's not good for anybody.
0: Correct. I love to do that as a boss. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard to identify a project, but I would say that doing an installation for Bernhard Design last year, Neocon, was very interesting. But also doing all the projects we wanted with Claire and Odillo, that's that's amazing. And the windows for Heller at the MoMA Design Store, like all of these projects they have different nuances because what we do is so diverse. That must be so fun. Everything's new. It That's... You nailed it, girl. <laughs> that's why I'm always laughing and my, the people that work with me, it's always happy because we're just having fun. And basically, we have fun because we don't do exactly the same all the time. So that's why it's so hard to answer this question. The One of the constants in all of these things is that I... Like, date the clients before getting involved. Ooh, yes. Tell me about the courtship. We need to like each other. We need to like each other a lot. Because that way you can build a net of trust and allow the client to speak freely. And then the client will allow us to create freely. Now people know this because I just said it. But that's not normally my presentation card, let's say. Like, oh, no, yeah, we need to date. No, no, no. If, I, if, if we actually like each other, then even if I don't know you, energetically, we just click, I know that this is going to be a success. It happens to me with Jerry from Bernhardt. Bernhardt, it was known by very severe, clean look, super everything, super white, like no major colors, And then the first time that I had a conversation with Jerry about the installation, I said, you know what, Jerry, we should do color. And he was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. And then later on, when we did these huge light boxes of color tinting the whole space, it was amazing. And everybody was like, dude, how did you convince Jerry Hilbert to do color here? in chicago it's no i didn't convince him it's just i just say it and that's it Uh, (laughs) and the same thing happened with john edelman that he reached out to me for heller to do the the windows at moma just because of that listen i really like you and i know you're good with color what do you think to do for the project it's like of course of course and we ended up doing something fun visually fun
1: So I'm sort of curious, because you are now known for being really good with color. And I can imagine people that come to you for projects would trust that because you've built up a reputation. Let's say this project with Jerry Helling and Bernhardt, do you think the trust came from your relationship or from your portfolio?
0: I thought of this also, at some point, how should I present my stuff? You know what, the trust comes out of how convinced you are about your own ideas?
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, but I also think as an architect and somebody who's worked across design disciplines and has a track record for actually executing all the way through to the built detail, you also have a kind of confidence that is, I can do this innovative thing because I can figure out how to do it. And so therefore, I'm going to present this idea with a very firm, it can be done and how are you going to do it? I don't know yet, but I will figure it out.
0: Yes, exactly. And we're going to make it within the budget.
1: <laughs> now that is music to their ears, I'm sure. That's what really gets you in from dating to marriage.
0: <laughs> Correct. That something, once again, related to the flexibility and the way the this ability to adapt to changes uh, and to to different variables, because you can do it.
1: It's a resourcefulness, that's the polite word, but it's also a scrappiness. Yes. One of the things I learned early on that I count as like an ace up my sleeve is this really vast sense of material knowledge. So if I can't get what I spected in, I can figure out another material that I can get that will still translate the essence of the design. But I might have to change the design a little bit, but the essence is still there.
0: Correct. Because the idea is the same. The ways to communicate that idea are infinite. It's a matter of building a criteria. I remember very early in New York, people would just spend three hours deciding what hue of red they will do. for it's like, that's not going to affect the narrative. You're just like building walls on your own ideas. No, just make a decision And if it doesn't work this time, it will work next time. That's it. But move on and make it happen. Uh, Because otherwise you get freeze there and things don't happen because you're overthinking everything. It's, oh oh my God, there is this fear to do.
1: I like that you said criteria, because if you have a framework of criteria for a project or for even your design process, then you can always make decisions on the fly because you know what the criteria is. But if you're just given like one tiny portion of a project and you're not part of the greater whole, then of course, you're trying to make your little portion sing. But you're only it's only like being given one paragraph in a play. I just love that even in, on your website and in your approach, you say openly that happiness and playfulness are design tools that you work with. Clearly. Yes. I like that those are both ways of being, not dogma. So what that, what happens then is that comes through in your design in a way that each individual gets to translate into their resonates with their own sense of happiness and playfulness. Correct. So I want to ask you, I guess, a personal question about that, which is your joyfulness appears to come naturally. And I'm sure it does, but joyfulness is also a choice and it's a practice and it's something that needs to be cultivated and maintained. And so it's a, a two-part question. How did you learn that or who from? And when it's challenged, how do you protect it or get back to it?
0: Yes, this is such a mark question, Amy. Bravo. Because <laughs> you are tapping into what I consider the essence of me. I learned to laugh a lot and to be joyful, even on hard times, thanks to my grandpas, both of them. They were just amazing amazing guys that they were just like laughing all the time. Both of them were, they struggled a lot in their childhood, and even just to build a family. When I realized that, and, and when I knew, started to learn a little bit about their stories, and comparing their real stories with What I knew about them, it's like, it's so crazy how these opposite things create such a magnificent energy. So I learned how to laugh through them and through my family. And using that laugh as a tool, it's something that I learned after.
1: You mentioned that early on. So talk to me about that.
0: Yes, because people connect to happiness and to joyfulness. Even the Grinch everybody connects to that. And I feel like the universe gave me this laughter for a reason. And I have to use it <laughs> for a reason. And it comes naturally. I can tell. Yes, I'm obsessive. And I, I, I structure things working wise. But this thing, it's not, it, it comes naturally. I learned how to, let's say, recharge that tool. I meditate a lot. I have a lot of me-time, let's say. This is going to sound crazy, but I consider myself an introvert.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... (laughs) Yes, it sounds crazy, and yes, I understand.
0: (laughs) Because I like to to be with myself, and it's I can manage small groups beautifully. Big groups, if there are a lot of people from small groups that are there... (laughs) So that time of me thinking, meditating, I do doodles and drawings every day and I call it my morning meditations because it's like me getting back to that child that was playing on that little table. I do it and I carry it with me all the time. I have it wherever I go, just a bunch of markers and a sketchbook, just playing with color. I'm not solving any problem. I'm not creating a project, or nothing. It's just the hardest decision, it's the first color that I will grab. That's a way that I find out to recharge that joyfulness. When people see you like this, they want to have a piece of that.
1: And that's draining if you're not
0: careful. It's draining if you're thinking that everybody wants a piece of that. (laughs) It's there. It's the same thing when people say, oh, this person copied me. What's the issue with that? You have more ideas where that came from. Something better will come from you. That's great. In my case, with the energy, I have more.
1: (laughs) Are there times when you have gotten yourself burnt out or spent your energy too voluminously without replenishing?
0: Yes, I learned how to protect that and to channel that the proper way because sometimes I would just be when you are in the trade shows and in this like all of these design fairs and stuff there is a lot of energy out and then you're basically putting everything out you're forgetting about yourself and then when the fair is off then you have a full week of recharging that happened to me a couple of times I realized this. I need to find tools, more than tools, and unconscious criteria. Same as in design. I don't need to be liked by everybody. It's a matter of being true to yourself, to be loyal to yourself. And I'm loyal to that small kid that I try to keep alive inside of me. Good,
1: good. I'm glad to hear you have tools and you have practices and that you're actively nurturing that small kid. Does the same apply to, like... Instances of trauma, tragedy, or grief? Like, do you have a perspective, like, this won't last forever, I just need to process it?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Listen, that story that I told you about the first time that I exhibited at Salone, that was hard. That was super hard. I tend to process things like trauma and stuff, not immediately. Immediately, I act. I, if I need to solve something, I will solve it. And then I let it sink. And then therapy, it works. <laughs> <laughs> Find some, somebody to talk to. Sounds like my life has been uh, a circus in a happy place. No, but I don't want to focus on that. Yes, that happened to me. And it happens for a reason. When you are passing through that moment, that trauma or whatever... It's just a matter of you need to pass through it. And the sooner you get out of the other side of the tunnel, it's the cliche moment. Everything will make sense later. So that's why I act. I uh, proactively react to things because that way I feel like the sooner this is over, the better.
1: I will tell you, if I, if we're ever on a boat together, and it's a shipwreck, and we get stuck on a desert island, I will be so glad to have you on the team.
0: Oh, listen, I was at the Boy Scouts. Oh was my gosh, in. we don't the best so, yeah. hut ever. We have had the design hut.
1: Okay, you beautiful human. Your life is in progress. So... Cast your vision to the future and tell me something that you want to cultivate or to draw into your life in order to fill out the picture.
0: I don't want to fill out the picture because that frame, it's always going to get bigger. I would love to keep doing what I'm doing on a larger scale. Yes. I would love to impact larger audiences and I would love to connect the past and the future. That's what I would love to do. We're working on it. I'm very interested into Venezuelan, indigenous people, arts and crafts. There is a lot of industrial design knowledge there without knowing. I'm very interested into the metaverse and what that thing that everybody's scared about, how is that going to actually actively translate into in the near future? If you look at things, 20 years ago, there were no iPhones. Now everybody has one. 20 years ago, it was a crazy idea. So we are at the moment of the century that somebody needs to do it, to grab that opportunity. And we are here to do that. That's something we're actively building.
1: Can't wait to see how that unfolds. That was a nice tease for the future. I know you're in Milan now. I can't wait to hear the reports and I can't wait to see you in New York and to see the installations that you're doing for
0: Wanted Design and ICFF. Also, Heller. We're doing Heller Gallery, next generation of modern. It's an installation that we're doing to launch new products and it's basically the first installation that Heller does during the design week. So I'm very happy to be able to design that.
1: Will it be at the show or is it out at an offsite?
0: It's outside. It's at Heller Gallery in 10th Avenue. We're doing something really cool. But then that happens in parallel to ICFF and Wanted Design. And I'm really happy to be working again with Claire and Odile, that I love them, doing this art direction for Wanted Design and doing a few common spaces within the fair. Yes.
1: Yes, which will be the most vibrant places in the Javits, I know.
0: <laughs> going to be fun.
1: <laughs> Rodolfo, you make my heart so happy. Thank you for sharing your joy, but also thank you for sharing your humanity and the depth of
0: your soul and your practice with me. It's so sweet. It's a pleasure to talk to you, obviously, and to be able to tell my story and guide it through you, which is really sweet. I'm really thankful.
1: Hey, thanks so much for listening. For a transcript of this episode and more about Rodolfo, including images of his work and a bonus Q&A, head to cleverpodcast.com. If you can think of three people who would be inspired by Clever, please tell them. It really helps us out when you share Clever with your friends. You can listen to Clever on any of the podcast apps. Please do hit the follow or subscribe button in your app of choice. So our new episodes will turn up in your feed. We love to hear from you on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find us at Clever Podcast and you can find me at Amy Devers. Please stay tuned for upcoming announcements and bonus content. You can subscribe to our newsletter at cleverpodcast.com to make sure you don't miss a thing. Clever is hosted and produced by me, Amy Devers, with editing by Rich Straffolino, Production assistance from Alana Nevins and Anushka Stefan, and music by L1011. Clever is a proud member of the Surround Podcast Network. Visit surroundpodcasts.com to discover more of the architecture and design industry's premier shows.